Almost every film begins the same way, on a page and with the same words, fade in. So, in discussing the Oscar-winning romantic satire, Working Girl, let us begin with how the film's writer, Kevin Wade, chose to open his script. Fade in, in close on feet, one pair of them padding quickly down a hill in well-worn, rain-soaked running shoes, including legs, nice ones, trotting. Her hand reaches down, yanks up a sagging stretch of stocking. All of Theresa McGill, Tester, her friends, a secretary in her late 20s. Very appealing looks, nothing really tooty and sexy in her way. She is balancing umbrella and newspaper and bag and practically juggling as she's headed towards a slow-moving throng, hundreds of commuters surging into the gaping jaws of the Staten Island Ferry, huddling against the rain and the grey morning, pulling back from Tess now as she presses into the masses. Now, if you've seen the movie, you will know that that is only an approximation of how the film opened. Still, there is enough information to convey setting, character, energy and theme. We have a woman, in a hurry to get to her job. Her name is Teresa, but by announcing she is Tester, her friends, that makes us her friend. This is just one of the ways Kevin Wade brings us into his script. Also, Tess is wearing running shoes, but we know that once in the office, she will swap them for a pair of pumps. Why else is she wearing stockings? Indicated by the mention of the Staten Island Ferry, we know our setting is Manhattan. And here we go for the theme. We have the use of the words huddling and masses. Without explicitly saying it, we, the readers, are conjuring up an image of the Statue of Liberty. In one fell swoop, we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know what I'm doing. Yes, yeah, so do I. Screwed up your life. No, I'm trying to make it better. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life working my ass off and getting nowhere just because I followed rules that I had nothing to do with setting up, okay? Tess McGill's office. Okay. Catherine, no. <laughs> of course it's still your office. I don't know. It's just... I'll see you, Tess. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. When Mike Nichols agreed to direct the movie, he chose to open the film not as scripted, and in doing so, gave us a unique view of the city that never sleeps. Quite an achievement when you consider how many times we have seen New York on film. West Side Story, Midnight Cowboy, Manhattan, Do the Right Thing, Wall Street, The Devil Wears Prada, The Avengers. So, Mike Nichols gives us a wonderful circling shot of the great beacon of hope herself, before pulling away and across the Hudson Sound down to the ferry. Tess McGill is a passenger on that ferry, sitting with her friend, Sin, and Sin is holding up a cupcake on which is placed a candle. It's Tess's birthday, and so Mike Nichols has presented us with not just a miniature Statue of Liberty, and not just a picture, but a profile. A young woman, an immigrant to Manhattan, vibrant, ambitious, hardworking, and because this is the 1980s, she has teased plumes of hair, huge helpings of multi-hued eyeshadow, and shoulder pads the size of aircraft carriers. So, Tess, a few ground rules. The way I look at it, you are my link with the outside world. People's impression of me starts with you. You're tough when it's warranted, accommodating when you can be. You're accurate, you're punctual, and you never make a promise you can't keep. I'm never on another line, I'm in a meeting. I consider us a team, Tess, and as such, we have a uniform. Simple, elegant, impeccable. Dress shabbily, they notice the dress. Dress impeccably, they notice the woman. Coco Chanel. Um, how do I look? You look terrific. 
You might want to rethink the jewellery. Which brings me to my main point about screenwriting. When people remark on a film's script, they usually mean the dialogue. But dialogue is only a small percentage of a script. A script has to contain a lot more than just words uttered by the characters. It has to provide information for all the creative people involved. The director, the actors, costume and production designers, cinematographer, composer and editor to assist in telling the story, to move it from the static word written on a white page through to the moving images, by which I mean emotional images on the silver screen. I didn't know they let bad girls into these things. Do I look like I don't belong here? No. Hmm. No, no, I'm sure you're a real ace at whatever it is that you do, do. Damn straight. But how you look. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. With its cozy gender politics, lightly satirical look at corporate America, and gentle prodding of New York's class divisions, Working Girl is a film very much of its time. However, what makes it timeless is its story of an individual who aspires for a greater opportunity. In essence, Tess McGill's ambitions to cleave a better life for herself can be compared to Cinderella. And just like that fairy tale, this one has castles, an evil witch, and a knight in shining armor. In keeping with the fairy tale, Tess borrows a dress, crashes a corporate event, and meets her prince. Then, when it has finally discovered who she really is, she is banished from the kingdom. The fairy tale format evidently works for screenwriter Kevin Wade. With New York as his preferred setting, he has refashioned the fable elements several times in films such as Junior, Meet Joe Black, and Made in Manhattan, none of which come anywhere near the style and wit that Mike Nichols brought to this film and Nichols got good performances from his cast, including this supporting role from Alec Baldwin. All right, okay. Here we are, just the two of us. Will you marry me or what? Jesus, Mick, do we have to decide this right now? I want to get things solidified, things in my life. You're not the only one who's got plans, you know. I said maybe. Maybe means dick. Fuck maybe. I want an answer now. Please don't yell at me. You treat me like I'm... Why are we always talking about the way you get treated, huh? Who the fuck died and made you Grace Kelly? I am that steak. You can't just order me. Working Girl earned Wade screenplay nominations for the Golden Globe and the much more prestigious Writers Guild of America. And while his story relies upon some very predictable plot devices, they are neatly woven to provide visual and dramatic echoes along the way. And that brings me to one of the most important tenets of screenwriting. Structure is everything. Now, it's not just me saying this. I'm quoting from the great William Goldman, screenwriter of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, both of which won him Oscars, and the timeless, glorious masterpiece, The Princess Bride. Goldman says that if you get your structure right, you can hang about its spine pretty much any ornament you like. So, with Wade's strong structure, he merrily places sequences which neatly echo one another so that items are stolen or borrowed, social occasions are crashed, and several people pretend to be someone else. Thank God I'm here. What the hell is going on? You're being tricked. That's what's going on. Catherine, what are you Jack, doing? just trust me and sit down. My name is Catherine Parker, and I'm an associate partner in mergers and acquisitions at Petty Marsh. And this woman is my secretary. She's not? Oh, no? Ask her. You're not her secretary? I can explain, Jack. 
Jesus, you are her secretary. The film received six Oscar nominations, three for acting, Melanie Griffith for female lead, with Sigourney Weaver and Joan Cusack being nominated for their supporting roles. And it is the supporting characters that provide the most entertainment. Harrison Ford as Tessa's love interest, Jack Trainer, seizes a rare opportunity for romantic comedy. And Sigourney Weaver as Tessa's boss has nice scenes where she parodies her Officer Ripley character from the Alien series. Rounding out the support team, there is one previous Oscar winner, Olympia Dukakis, a future Oscar nominee, Alec Baldwin, and in a two-minute cameo, a future recipient, Kevin Spacey. Mm, this is a big week. It's a super week. We are celebrating. Mm. Oh, arbitrage. Talk about adrenaline, huh? What do you think is the most important quality for a great arbitrager? Well, we'll go through all that at the hotel. The hotel? Yeah, the company keeps a suite at the Ritz-Carlton, and you know, when it's empty, they give it to us boys on a bonus basis. Whoa, we're gonna party! Ah! Hey. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, allow me. I'm so sorry. Hey, Bob, please! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just I get a little carried away. <laughs> In addition, there's the film's theme song, Let the Rivers Run. Written and performed by Carly Simon, it not only won the Oscar, but in so doing, she became the very first solo artist to write and perform a song that won the Oscar, the Golden Globe, and the Grammy. Simon said that she wrote the song while the film was being made. Her guide was Wade's script. Simon also said that another inspiration came from, of all places, the poems of Walt Whitman. One of the greatest American poets, his work oftentimes evokes a transcendental quality, and while the movie certainly does not aspire to such lofty heights, Simon's lyrics do contain spiritual illusions. Silver cities rise, the new Jerusalem. Hey! 